Welcome to The Receptive Life. We're learning how to fight against the unholy trinity to defend ourselves with the promises that come from the person and the work of Jesus, but also learning how to receive all of the gifts that can only come from the hands of the triune God. So we're in the weekly practice. This is station number eight on Tuesday. And uh, during this day of the week, uh, we would meditate then on the Creed, the Apostles' Creed. And the little Bridger verse there to help us uh, think about uh, meditating upon the triune God is Psalm 119, verse 73. Your hands have made me and formed me. Uh, Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now, we've said that everyone has a God, a small g, right? Everyone believes in something, hopes, trusts. Uh, When things uh, um, go wrong or there's times of trouble, uh, this God really is revealed. And the question is, what is it that our heart clings to? Whatever our heart clings to, that is our God. Now, it might be the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or it's a false God. Um, And so, Uh, We need to identify what God it is. Capital G, the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or false God, a small g. Now, a helpful little resource that I came across was a book written by Michael Lockwood. And uh, I suppose I was drawn to it because uh, he was a missionary kid in Papua New Guinea, and so was was I. we didn't really know each other uh, during that time, but, uh, you know, it's a small world, and I'm sure parents had conversations. But he wrote this book called The Unholy Trinity, Martin Luther Against the Idol of Me, Myself, and I. So Luther would al- often talk about uh, this sense of the unholy trinity. Sometimes he would refer to it as, uh, as we do, uh, the devil, the corrupt world, and our own sinful flesh. Uh, but in this case, Michael Lockwood wrote uh, about the unholy trinity as being centered in me, me, myself, and I. So he writes, uh, in particular, Luther can teach us that the self-seeking and self-reliant self is always the greatest idol and the driving force behind other idols. And number two, when we refuse to fear, love, and trust the true God, we are compelled to find substitutes for him and all the work he does for us in his plan of salvation. This means finding substitutes for the Father and his work of providence, the Son and his work of redemption, and the Holy Spirit and his work of enlightening those who believe. It also means replacing God as the goal of our life and the object of our love. We feel no need for the true God, until we are disenchanted with the false gods we have put in his place, which we think can provide all we need. So some good words from Michael Michael Lockwood. In essence, it basically says this, by nature, by the corrupted nature, the sinful nature, we are self, self-seeking, self-reliant. Uh, Michael Lockwood would talk about how Luther refers to that as me, myself, and I. Uh, You could reference sin as really a point that describes that. You note right in the middle of sin is the word I. Uh, The kind of the phrase that we could talk about is, is sin is man being turned inward upon himself, consumed with me, myself, and I. By nature, corrupted nature, self-seeking, and self-reliant. The next point is, 
when we don't fear, love, and trust uh, in the triune God above all things, we then look for substitutes. So there's this vacuum, right? Everyone has a God. If it's not the triune God, there will always be a substitute. A substitute that will try and replace the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the work of Father in creation, the one who provides, who protects, gives daily bread. The work of the Son, redemption, being reconciled, made right with with God and one another. Uh, The Holy Spirit, the work of sanctification or um, being made new, uh, being uh, renewed, Uh, a sense of understanding, being enlightened. And so when we don't fear, love, and trust in the true God, the triune God, we always go looking for substitutes. And those substitutes then we could refer to as idols. Now, thirdly, the sacred gift that comes from suffering, as painful as it is, um, is that it, 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 it creates this disenchantment with false gods. So when we suffer, uh, what happens is that we cry out to something or someone. And if it's not the triune God, the true God, then those gods are silent. Uh, those gods cannot help. Their legs are really are chopped out from underneath them. They fall. And when that happens, there's a disenchantment with those false gods. So the question is, so when suffering happens, where, uh, to whom uh, are we going? Uh, Who's going to help uh, us? And then to ask a question, um, so how is that working out for you? If you're calling out to uh, uh, something that you have put your trust in, how uh, how is that working out for you? Now, the daily and weekly practice that we've been about, really, you could characterize it as idol hunting, right? The sense that we're looking for idols. What is it that we fear, love, trust in God above you know, all things? What is it that we're going to? And it's also about exposing then the lies of those false gods, those idols. Now, it's just not about exposing idols and exposing their lies, but it's also about directing our attention to the true God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then uh, learning how to receive his, his gifts. Now, I've referenced before um, this, uh, this image of my father in Papua New Guinea, and he was a missionary there in the late 1960s, early 1970s. Our family was there. And uh, one evening, the elders of the village uh, came during the night, which is really um, they didn't. They didn't do that because they were very uh, fearful of the dark and the spirits that would be about. Uh, and so, when they came in the middle of the night, knocking on uh, knocking on the door, it was quite a strange uh, thought about what you know what had happened. Was there some tragedy? So they came and they had this uh, this idol that they had uh, made um, and that their village had, and it was wrapped up and they presented it to my father. And they, they said, well, when we heard about the gospel and when we were baptized, we did believe that, you know, you were speaking of a God, the one that you described as, as Jesus, the one who uh, became uh, human flesh and died for our sins. And so uh, we did believe that, but we weren't quite so sure. So we wanted to kind of um, not give up fully our God 
And so we wrapped him up and put him up in a little hut in the mountain. And just in case, the one that you were speaking of, this Jesus was not uh, not faithful and not, not true. So they then said, well, some time has passed and we have, have come to the conclusion that your God is the only God, the true God, and we don't want this God anymore. Isn't that wonderful? Fear, love, and trust in God, the true God, above all things. Not one of many, not kind of first and then there's a backup, but um, the only God. And so by that action, what they were expressing is that the one that we go to is going to be the one that was revealed to us in the scriptures that you uh, proclaim, Jesus, uh, Jesus, the Son of God. And what a nice picture there, too. I don't know if you can see it, but right next to the idol hanging from my father's neck is a silver, uh, a silver cross. And so there's always that, uh, that comparison of what is it that we run to? Is it the cross, the work of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection that defeats all of the enemies? Or are we holding on to something else um, You know, besides that? Well, Scripture is always calling us to Christ alone, the triune God uh, only. To whom shall we go is what the disciples say. And that's really uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us as well, a faith that holds on to only, only God. So it's always back to the first commandment, back to uh, a call to fear, love, and trust in God above all things.